This is the Proactive IT Podcast. This week, the latest in IT and cybersecurity news, plus class action suits for HIPAA breaches, PayPal issues abound, and business associates listen up. This is episode 19. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Proactive IT Podcast. Each week, we talk about the latest in tech and cyber news, compliance, and more. We also bring you real-world examples to learn from so that you can better protect your business and your identity. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant located in Central Connecticut. You can find us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast, episode 19 if you're listening to us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, um, whatever podcast platform you're listening to this on, please, please subscribe, leave us some positive feedback, share it out, whatever you could do to spread the word would be greatly appreciated, and um, we'd send you virtual hugs, and if you are in a HIPAA-compliant business, whether that's a business associate or a covered entity, Hop on over to Facebook, type in Get HIPAA Compliance, join the group, and you will not regret it. I do not have any questions sent in this week, so we're going to jump right into the Patch Tuesday update. There are no additional updates except for Google Chrome needs to be updated to address some security vulnerabilities. You should be on Google Chrome 80.0.3987.122. This is the last Patch Tuesday update of February, so we'll be updating more next month. Um, Next episode, I should say, I will not be recording next Friday. So episode 20 will be waiting two weeks. Um, In addition to the Google Chrome update, you'll have a list of updates that will will be recorded in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. All right, time for the biggest news of the week. Um, first up, Bleeping Computer reported earlier this week, S- Slick Wraps data breach exposes financial and customer info. Slick Wraps, Slick Wraps has suffered a data breach after a security researcher was able to access their systems after receiving no response to emails. Publicly disclosed how they gained access to the site and the data that was exposed. Slick Wraps is a mobile device case retailer who sells a large assortment of pre-made cases and custom cases from images uploaded by customers. In a post to Medium, a security researcher named Lynx states that in January 2020, he was able to gain full access to Slick Wraps' website using a path traversal vulnerability and an upload script used for case customizations. Using this access, Lynx stated that they were allegedly able to gain access to the resumes of employees, 9 gigs of personal customer photos, Zendesk ticketing system, API credentials, and personal customer information such as hashed passwords, addresses, email addresses, phone numbers, and transactions. So a couple of notes here real quick. I have myself um, seen where I don't know why employers do this, store um, resumes online 
Um, I have myself done this and found resumes on other company sites in the past. And uh, the other thing here, hash password, you might be thinking, oh, it's hashed, it's okay. It's, uh, no, you're not secure because if that hash password has already been cracked, and it, it, that means it's already on the dark web somewhere. And so somebody only needs to match up the hash, match up the hash with the password, and now they have access. So after trying to report these breaches to Slick Wraps, Link stated they were blocked multiple times, even when they, even when stating they did not want a bounty, but rather for Slick Wraps to disclose the data breach. They had no interest in accepting security advice from me. They simply blocked and ignored me, Link stated in a Medium post. This post has been since taken down by Medium, but is available via archive.org. Since posting his Medium post, Link's told Bleeping Computer that another unauthorized user sent an, sent an email to 377,428 customers using SlickRap's Zendesk help desk system. These emails begin with, if you're reading this, it's too late. We have your data, and then a link to Link's Medium post. Some of these customers have posted images of the image to Twitter as seen below. So there's an image of the letter here on the Bleeping Computer article. When Bleeping Computer asked Lynx if he knew who was sending out the emails, he told us that it was not them, but they had seen traces of other unauthorized users in SlickRap's website as well. I saw some activity during my research. Maybe they're the same people who sent out the emails. No clue, to be honest, Lynx told Bleeping Computer. When we asked why they continued to look for more vulnerabilities instead of simply contacting Slick Wraps, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time saying Slick Wraps. When they first gained access, we were told, as a white hat, we want to see how far we can go so we can generate a full report. No point in doing research and reporting the first vulnerability when there, when there's still 10 others. While Lynx told Bleeping Computer that they were always concerned about legal repercussions after performing penetration testing, they felt that, that due to the severity of the data breach, it needed to be publicly disclosed. Companies know that I never intend to harm them and sometimes even offer bounties. This one was different in that sense since that they blocked me in that sense that they blocked me and did not care about the customers at all. Since this is a major breach and I exhausted all my other options to contact them, I felt the need to disclose this publicly in hopes that they fix this ASAP. Um even with the breach disclosed in a medium post and technical details having been posted, links told us that the vulnerabilities still exist on the website and that they still have access. So a, a couple of things here. First of all, don't do that. Don't, um, without a, an agreement in place with the company, don't go and hack their website or, or hack their business. Um, that it, that's not going to be good because they can turn around and sue him now. They didn't have an agreement in place, and they can turn around and sue him. And and technically, he could be arrested. He did break the law. Um, the laws right now don't allow for this kind of behavior uh, without the company being aware of it. Um, the other thing is shame on slick wraps for not addressing it. They, this could have been handled a lot better. They could have said, hey, you know, let's get this fixed, and thanks, Links, for sharing this. Um, but they didn't. Uh, moving along, Doppelpamer Ransomware launches site to post victims' data. The operators of the Doppelpamer Ransomware have launched a site that they will use to shame victims who do not pay a ransom and to publish any files that were stolen before computers were encrypted. A new extortion method started by the Maze Ransomware is to steal files before encrypting them and then use them as leverage to get victims to pay the ransom. If a ransom is not paid, then the ransomware Operators released the stolen files on a public news site to expose the victim to government fines, lawsuits, and the risk of attack being classified as a data breach. And if you're, if it is a, if it is um, classified as a data breach, you have bigger problems. 
Soon after starting this tactic, other ransomware families, including Soto Nukibi, Nemti, and Doppelpamer, have stated that they would begin this practice as well. Uh, I think I skipped something. So Maze Ransomware... Yeah, okay, so I did read that. So Maze Ransomware started this, and now Soto Nukibi, Nemti, and now Doppelpamer are also doing it. Doppelpamer launches a public leak site. Today, the operators of the Doppelpamer Ransomware, and this was reported on the 25th, so two days ago, three days ago. Um, the operators of Doppelpamer Ransomware have followed in Maze's footsteps and launched a site called Doppelleaks that will be used to leak files and shame non-paying victims. Doppelpamer is an enterprise targeting ransomware that compromises a corporate network, eventually gains access to admin credentials, and then deploys the ransomware on the network to encrypt all devices. As these attacks encrypt hundreds, if not thousands of devices, they tend to have huge impact on operators, and the attackers demand a very large ransom. The ransomware operators state that they have created the site as a threat to victims that if they do not pay, their data and names will be leaked by the attackers. So, um... You know, you have two choices, really. Three choices. One, ignore it and risk having your data exposed and being classified as a data breach. Two, pay it. And three, make sure you have mitigation in place to not get hit with a ransomware attack. Um, on ZDNet, we have this report. Six suspected drug dealers went free after police lost evidence in a ransomware attack. So this is the seventh incident of its kind when police investigations were impacted by a ransomware infection. U.S. prosecutors were forced to drop 11 narcotics case, cases against six suspected drug dealers after a crucial case file, after crucial case files were lost in a ransomware infection at a Florida state police, Florida police department. So I don't know what what it is with Florida. Florida seems to have more than their share of ransomware attacks. But here's another one: the evidence in 11 cases could not be recovered following a ransomware attack that hit the Stewart Police Department in April of 2019. While Stewart Police recovered some data from backups, some files could not be recovered. Lost files included photo and video evidence. Detective Sergeant Mike Gerwin with the Stewart Police Department told WPTV in an interview last week. Gerwin said that the dropped cases included charges for possession of meth, possession of cocaine, selling narcotics, manufacturing narcotics, and delivering narcotics, among others. Previous cases of police losing data. However, while the Stewart Police ransomware incident looks bad, it is not an isolated case. Ransomware infections have been wreaking havoc across the U.S. for the past four years, and what happened in Stewart has also happened in other places. <clears throat> While other police departments losing crucial case evidence or having activities disrupted in a severe way. So here they are, January of 2017, police in Cockrell Hill, Texas, admitted to losing eight years' worth of evidence following an infection with Osiris, Os Osiris, ransomware. May 2018, police in Riverside, Ohio lost 10 months worth of cases after a ransomware infection that got reinfected a month later, but the second time around they were prepared and didn't lose any additional files. June 2018, Atlanta officials discovered that the city's police department lost almost two years of police car dash cam video evidence following a March 2018 ransomware attack. July 2019, police in Lawrenceville, Georgia lost case Related files and body cam footage following a ransomware incident. It remains unclear how much data the police department lost, as there are conflicting reports ranging from weeks to years worth of case evidence. July 2019, a ransomware infection impacted police car laptops for the Georgia State Patrol, Georgia Capitol Police, and Georgia Motor Carrier Compliance Division. Police car laptops and dash cams remained down and unable to record new video evidence for more than a month. December 2019, the St. Lucie 
County Sheriff's Office in Florida lost a week's worth of emails and evidence following a ransomware infection, even if the office restored from backups. So that's seven cases. Most of those are in Georgia and Florida. We've got two two outside of those areas. Um, So down south, taking, uh, down south police department's really taking it on the chin, huh? On threat posts, stalk aware attacks increased 50% last year in a report. Research puts the emerging mobile threat, which monitors the whereabouts and device activity of devices, users, as well as collects personal data into clearer focus. The number of stalkerware attacks on mobile devices increased 50% over the last year, showing an upward and continued trend in the emerging threat, Reacher's said. Over the past year, the instances of stalkerware, which tracks users without their knowledge and can result in harassment, surveillance, stalking, and even domestic violence, increased from 40,386 to 67,500 in in 2019, according to new research from Kaspersky. Attacks involving the use of mobile stalkerware became more frequent, the purpose being to monitor and collect information about the victim. Victor Shebshev, a... Research development team lead at Kaspersky wrote and post on company's secure list blog outlining trends in mobile malware in 2019. At the same time, stalkerware, a threat that appeared on security researchers' radar in only the last couple of years, also began to show signs of keeping pace with its malware cousins in terms of sophistication, he said. Researchers have had some difficulty in the past defining stalkerware because the software used in these types of attacks typically varies between surreptitious spyware available on illicit online markets and more legitimate applications that can be obtained through app stores such as google play that landscape is beginning to change slightly however as stockware comes into clear focus in security researchers and privacy advocates like are aligning to help define alike are aligning to help define exactly what this threat entails as well as prevent future attacks Kaspersky researchers divide stockware into two categories, trackers and full-fledged tracking apps. They said the first type of stockware has two main features, tracking victims, coordinates, coordinates, and intercepting text messages, Shev wrote. Once this type of app is loaded on a device, a third party can access messages and data about the user's location. He said, however, it's possible for a wider audience also to gain access to the data collection by trackers. As the client-server interaction of some services ignores even the minimum security requirements of a device, Shebshev wrote. While this type of mobile app previously was available on the official Google Play Marketplace, changes to Google's policy in 2018 led to the removal of most of these apps from the store, with developers subsequently pulling support for these products, he said. However, such trackers can be found on the developers and third-party sites, Shebshev wrote. So what does that mean? It means, um, you know, be careful who handles your phone and what they do on your phone. Bleeping computer hackers are scanning for a vulnerable Microsoft Exchange service. So real quick note, there was a patch for Microsoft Exchange. This is CVE 2020-06688. It is a critical vulnerability in remote code execution that was patched two weeks ago. Um, so if you need to patch your Microsoft Exchange server if you are still running one um, because it is being actively looked for. Um, bleeping Computer Report, Norton LifeLock phishing scam re- installs remote access Trojan. Cyber criminals behind a recently observed phishing scam used a clever ruse in the forms of a bogus Norton LifeLock document to fool victims into installing a remote access Trojan. That is typically used for legitimate purpose. 
The malicious activity has the hallmarks of a seasoned threat actor familiar with the evasion techniques and offensive security frameworks that help install the payload. Hooking the victim, the infection chain starts with a Microsoft Word document laced with the malicious macro code. The threat actor relied on a creative tactic to entice victims into enabling macros, which are disabled by default across the office suite. Under the pretext of a password protected Norton LifeLock document with personal information, victims are asked to enable macros and type in a password that is most likely provided in a phishing email. Security researchers from Unit 42, Palo Alto Networks, Threat intelligence team found that the password dialog box accepts only the uppercase, lowercase letter C. When a wrong password is entered, an error pops up showing the message incorrect key malicious action does not continue in this example, in this scenario. If the user provides the correct input, the macro keeps executing and builds a command string that ultimately installs Net Support Manager, a legitimate remote control software. This is archived in three steps via the VBA shell functions launches command.exe passing this the slash C parameter carries out the command and exits constructs a batch file name alpaca.bat and executes the newly created batch script. The wrap binary is downloaded and installed with the help of the MSI exec command and a Windows installer service delivery is from a domain quickway signed at stx.com view PHP that appears to have been compromised by the attacker for this purpose. However, the procedure occurs only when the request has the user agent string Windows installer, which is the part of the MSI exec command. Using a different user agent shows a benign image. Um, so if you get any documents from um, from Norton LifeLock, I would probably err on the side of caution and just you know maybe call them and check with them to make sure that it is legitimate. And last bit of news we're going to share this morning on um, ZDNet. Ransomware victims thought that their backups were safe. They were wrong. Ransomware victim victims are finding out too late that their vital backups are online and also getting encrypted by crooks, warns Cybersecurity Agency. The UK's Cybersecurity Agency has updated its guidance on what to do after a ransomware attack, following a series of incidents where organizations were hit with ransomware but also had their backups encrypted because they had left them connected to the networks. I've only mentioned that a few times on this show. Keeping a backup copy of vital data is a good way of producing the damage of a ransomware attack. It allows companies to get sim systems up and running again without having to pay off the crooks, but the backup data isn't much good if it's also infected with ransomware and thus encrypted and unusable because it is still connected to the network when the attack took place. UK's National Cybersecurity Center, NCSC, said it has now updated its guidance, guidance by emphasizing offline backups as a defense against ransomware. We've seen a number of ransomware incidents lately where the victims had backed up their essential data, which is great, but all the backups were online at the time of the incident, not so great. It meant that the backups were also encrypted, ransomed together with the rest of the victim's data the agency warned. While the NSCS has NCSC, sorry, has previously recommended offline backups. It said recent incidents such as attacks by TrickBot banking Trojan malware suggest a greater emphasis was needed. The key to mitigating a ransomware attack, NCSC said, is to ensure that businesses have up-to-date backups of important files. Organizations should ensure that the backup is kept separate from the network, offline or in a cloud service designed for this purpose, like Datto offers. Um, all right, so... I would go a step further, depending on what you think of your data. I mean, yes, it might cost a few extra dollars and a little bit of extra time and resources, but back it up to the cloud 
and a service that does protect it, like Datto, and keep a local backup that you can restore from quickly if um, if you you know back up and then disconnect it or back up and then password protect it or encrypt it yourself. Uh, those are the ways to to kind of mitigate that problem. All right, we're going to move on to our hot topics. All right, first bit of hot topics. Um, it's kind of, I'm using two articles here because it's going to help bring home the point that I've been trying to bring home for a little while now. New Jersey Hospital, this is on um, infosecurity-magazine.com. New Jersey Hospital Network faces lawsuit over ransomware attack. So you remember we talked about this a few months ago. Proposed class action lawsuit has been filed against New Jersey's largest hospital health network over a ransomware attack that happened in December. Threat actors infected the computer systems of Hackensack Meridian Health, causing a system-wide shutdown on December 2nd. The attack disrupted services at 17 urgent care centers, hospitals, and nursing homes operated by the network. News of the attack was leaked to the media on December 5th. Eight days later, Hackensack confirmed that it had paid an undisclosed sum to retrieve files encrypted in the ransomware attack. Now, our proposed class action lawsuit has been filed in a Newark District Court by two plaintiffs seeking compensation reimbursement of out-of-pocket expenses, statutory damages, and penalties. The plaintiffs are also seeking to secure injunctive, injunctive relief that will require Hackensack Meridian Health to undergo annual data security audits, make improvements to its security systems, and provide three years of credit monitoring services to breach victims free of charge. In a 45-page complaint, the, the plaintiffs allege that the Hackensack Meridian Health failed to adequately protect patients' data. They accused that healthcare provider of running its network in a reckless manner that left its computer systems vulnerable to, vulnerable to cyber attacks. The lawsuit further alleges that as a result of the attack, patients suffered major disruptions to their medical care for two days and were forced to seek alternative care and treatment. An investigation conducted by the Hackensack Meridian Health found no evidence that patient data had been stolen as a result of the ransomware attack. However, the plaintiffs have alleged that attackers stole their personal protected health information and disclosed it to other unknown thieves, putting them at an imminent risk of identity theft and fraud. I would tend to lean on the side of the patients here. The plaintiffs allege that Hackensack Meridian Health has failed to officially notify patients of the attack and has not reported the attack to the OCR as required by Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, which is extremely true. Notice of the ransomware attack had not yet appeared on the breach portal run by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, OCR, at press time. And that was written on, uh, I don't see a date on here. I don't know when this was written, but, oh, here it is, February 21st, so just six days ago. Hackensack Meridian Health, which is based in Edison, New Jersey, has more than 35,000 employees and generates around $6 billion in annual revenue. So that, um, so I'll get to, to my point in a moment. The other one, UW Medicine faces class action lawsuit over 974,000 record data breach. This was, uh, on, this is on the HIPAA journal and this was February 24th, 2020, so three days ago. Several lawsuits filed against healthcare organizations over data breach in recent weeks, with the University of Washington Medicine the latest to face legal action for exposing the potential health protected health information of patients. 
The lawsuit has been filed over a December 2018 data breach that saw the personal information of 974,000 patients exposed over the internet as a result of misconfigured server. The misconfigured server contained an accounting of disclosures databases that included patient names, medical record numbers, a list of parties who had been provided with patient data, and the reason why that information was, dis was disclosed. Some individuals also had information exposed relating to a research study they were enrolled in in their health condition and the name of the lab test that had been performed. For certain patients, sensitive information was exposed. According to the lawsuit, that included a patient's HIV test taken history and in some cases the patient's HIV status. Social security numbers, financial information, health in insurance information, and medical records were not exposed. The server misconfiguration occurred on December 4, 2018. UW Medicine was alerted to the breach when a patient discovered a file containing the records that had been indexed by Google. UW Medicine found and corrected the misconfiguration on December 26, 2018. UW Medicine explained in a press release issued on February 20, 2019 that the database was accessible for a period of three weeks and UW Medicine worked closely with Google to have all indexed information removed from Google's servers. That process was completed by January 10, 2019. The lawsuit filed in King County Superior Court alleges UW Medicine was neglect negligent and failed to properly safeguard the protected health information of its patients and did not inform patients promptly that their PHI had been exposed. The lawsuit alleges patients have suffered real significant and continuing injury have suffered distress and a loss of reputation as a result of the breach and have been placed at an increased risk of identity theft, fraud, and abuse. So the lawsuit also references an earlier UW medicine breach as further evidence of inadequate information security practices, a 2013 malpractice or malware infection that occurred as a result of an employee opening an infected email attachment that was that incident impacted 90,000 patients. The investigation of the breach by the HHS OCR found UW Medicine had violated the HIPAA security rule by failing to implement adequate policies and procedures to prevent, detect, contain, and correct security violations. In 2015, UW Medicine settled the case with OCR for $750,000 and agreed to adopt a corrective action plan that included conducting a comprehensive risk analysis of security risks and vulnerabilities and developing an organization-wide risk management plan. It doesn't sound like they did that. UW Medicine's substandard security practices have now compromised nearly 1 million patients, PHI greatly exceeding the scope of the 2013 breach. In a violation of its statutory and professional standard of care obligations and breach of plaintiffs and class, classes' reasonable expectations when they decided to form a patient-physician relationship with UW Medicine and thereby diminishing the value of the services UW Medicine provided and that its patients paid for argue the plaintiffs in the lawsuit. The lawsuit seeks full disclosure about the information that was compromised, statutory damages, and legal fees, and calls for UW Medicine to adopt sufficient secure practices and safeguards to prevent further data breaches in the future. So, a few things here. This this drives home a point. The lawsuits are going to continue. Where people are getting tired of their data being breached, and it just shows a lack of concern. If you were if you were compromised in 2013, and then again five years later. You're not doing your job. You're not. You didn't learn your lesson, and the OCR should come down very hard on this. In the second incident, UW Medicine here, the OCR should come down really hard on them because they've already been fined once for similar activity. They're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're not taking. They're not t doing the best to protect.
patient data. And that is, that is um, well, we'll call it what it is. It's an epic failure on their part. But the whole point of me sharing these two articles, and in, in, in the case of um, Hackensack Meridian Health, they, they did not want to disclose it. They tried to cover it up. People, people shared it online. They didn't uh, come clean right away. They did eventually come clean to some degree, um, probably in fear of OCR or, or in fear of reputation hit. I, I don't know why they would try to cover it up because you, you can't, you know, you have 30 something thousand employees. It's, that's going to be a hard thing to cover up, but they didn't do their, they didn't make their best efforts to notify the public, maybe because they did not want to be fined for a HIPAA violation. So now not only did you not report it, it's been more than 60 days. You now um, have violated the reporting rule, the breach report rule. And so now, um, you know, they're going to be investigated. They're probably trying to make sure everything is ship shape before they, this investigation, but it's too late. They've done the damage. Now they're also getting sued and you, the, these lawsuits are probably going to be more than the OCR would actually fine you. Um, so see how that plays out, but that's going to be interesting for sure. We found six critical PayPal vulnerabilities and PayPal punished us for it. I found this on cyber news. I think I saw it floating around on LinkedIn, cybernews.com. In the news, it seems that PayPal and so PayPal, I've been reporting on the cybersecurity daily on PayPal all week uh, because they've just one vulnerability after another. So in the news, it seems that PayPal gives a lot of money to ethical hackers that found bugs that find bugs in their tools and services. In March 2018, PayPal announced that they're increasing their maximum bug bounty payment to $30,000, a pretty nice sum for hackers. On the other hand, ever since PayPal moved its bug bounty program to HackerOne, its entire system for supporting bug bounty, um, bug bounty hunters who identify and report bugs has become more opaque, mired in illogical delays, vague responses, and suspicious behavior. When our analysts, when our analysts discovered six vulnerabilities in PayPal, ranging from dangerous exploits that can allow anyone to bypass their two-factor authentication, to being able to send malicious code through their smart chat system, we were met with non-stop delays, unresponsive staff, and a lack of appreciation. Below, we go over each vulnerability in detail and why we believe they are so dangerous. When we hushed, when we pushed. The HackerOne staff for clarification on these, on these issues, they removed points from our reputation scores, relegating our profiles to a suspicious and spammy level. This happened even when the issue was eventually patched, although we received no bounty credit or even thanks. Instead, we got our reputation scores, which start out at 100, neg negatively impacted, leaving us worse off than if we had reported nothing at all. It's unclear where the majority of the problem lies before going through HackerOne. We attempted to communicate directly with PayPal, but we received only copy-paste customer support responses and humdrum, say nothing responses from human representatives. There also needs to be, also seems to be a larger issue of HackerOne's triage system in which they employ security analysts to check the submitted issues before passing them on to PayPal. The only problem, these security analysts are hackers themselves, and they have clear motivation for delaying an issue to, in order to collect their bounty themselves. Since there is a lot more money to be made from using or selling these exploits on the black market, we believe that PayPal HackerOne system is flawed and we will lead to and will lead to fewer ethical hackers providing the necessary help in finding and patching PayPal's tools. 
In our analysis of PayPal's mobile apps and website UI, we were able to uncover a series of significant issues. We'll explain these vulnerabilities from the most severe to least severe, as well as how vulnerability can lead to serious issues for the end user. So the first one, probably the most severe, even in my opinion, using the current version of PayPal for Android version 7.16.1, the Cyber News Research Team was able to bypass PayPal's phone or email verification which for ease of terminology can call two-factor authentication. The two-factor authentication, which is called offflow on PayPal, is normally triggered when a user logs into their account from a new device location or IP address. In order to bypass PayPal's 2FA, our researchers use the PayPal mobile app and a man-in-the-middle proxy like Charles Proxy. Then through a series of steps, the researcher was able to get an elevated token to enter the account. Since the vulnerability hasn't been patched yet, we can't go into detail on how it was done. The process of this was very simple and only takes seconds or minutes. This means that attackers can gain easy access to accounts, rendering PayPal's lauded security system useless. Now, I've always said for some reason they don't really, they should really force people to use two-factor authentication, and they don't. They don't even make it easy to find. Stolen PayPal credentials can go for just a dollar fifty on the black market. Essentially, it's exactly because it's so difficult to get into people's PayPal accounts with stolen credentials that those Stolen credentials are so cheap. PayPal's offflow is set up to detect and block suspicious login attempts, usually related to a new device or IP besides other suspicious activity. And that's so I've experienced that myself. But with our two-factor authentication bypass, that security measure is null and void. Hackers can buy stolen credentials in bulk, log in with those credentials, bypass 2FA in minutes, and have complete access to those accounts with many mo many known and unknown stolen credentials on the market this is potentially a huge loss for any paypal customer paypal's response will assume that hacker one's response is representative of paypal's response for this issue paypal decided that since the user's account must already be compromised for this to work there goes no there does not appear to be any security implication as a direct result of this behavior um, so let's go through the, risk, the rest of the list quickly. So you have number two is phone verification without OTP. Number three is sending money security bypass. Number four, full name change. Number five, the self-help smart chat stored cross-site vulnerability. And number six is security questions persistent cross-site vulnerability. All right. The last bit of news we have to share today, Google's acquisition of Fitbit could pose high level of risk to privacy and data protection. So we talked about this couple months ago, um, Google's dipping their hands in a few places that might be might be HIPAA related. European Data Protection Board has ordered the firms to mitigate possible risks. So the European Data Protection Board has ordered Google to conduct a full assessment, assessment of the data protection requirements and privacy implications of its acquisition of wearables giant Fitbit. In a plenary session on February 20th, concerns were raised about the privacy implications of merger obligations under the F. The EU's general data protection regulation. The board urged both firms to mitigate possible risks to the pri rights to privacy and data protection before notifying the merger to the European Commissioner. It added that the EDPB will consider any implications for the protection of personal data in the European economic area. Google Fitbit did not respond to the request for comments from HIMSS Media. So HIMSS is a medical site medical compliance healthcare compliance site and so why why is that important because fitbit does contain some healthcare information like heart rate and um steps taken and so forth it might have weight and height and all that 
there have been questions around what will happen to Fitbit sensitive data, health data, and wellness data since Google announced the acquisition in November. UK's data watchdog, the Information Commissioner's Office, and the U.S. Department of Justice are both looking into privacy concerns around the deal. In a blog post about the acquisition, Google's Senior Vice President of Devices and Services, Rick Osterlaw, reassured consumers that privacy and security are paramount. He wrote, similar to our other products with wearables, we will be transparent about the data we collect and why. We will never sell personal information to anyone. Fitbit health and wellness data will not be used for Google Ads and will not and will give Fitbit users the choice to review, move, or delete their data. So that is the official Google response. It will be, uh, this is going to be, um, this is going to play out for a little while because they're, they're and Google's got their hands in a few different projects. Um, so Project Nightingale we've talked about a few times and a few other projects that they have their hands in. They, um, they're crossing into healthcare and that could be a potential problem for some people so we will see where that goes as well we'll continue to follow that for you all right hippie education time we're going to talk a little bit about business associates responsibility in the exposure that your healthcare provider can be or your healthcare practice can be at risk for when you are not paying attention and you don't have the right um, measures in place, the right people in place. Um, There have been three separate reports of HIPAA breaches in the last, I think, about two weeks, a little less than two weeks. And the result of a business associate. So I'm going to focus on one for the moment. And this is May's ransomware attack on accounting firm impacts patients of New York Medical Group. So the Albany, New York-based accounting tax and advisory firm BST and Company, CPAs LLC, has experienced a May's ransomware attack that has affected patients of New York Medical Group community care physicians, PC. Now let's remember May's ransomware is one of those um, ransomware attacks that does threaten to expose client data if you don't pay up. So keep that in mind for a moment. The Maze Ransomware Gang is one of a handful of threat groups that steal data from victims prior to deploying their ransomware payload. A threat is then issued to publish the stolen data if ransom is not paid. Some of the data stolen in the attack has since been published by the gang, so they're already doing it, including names, dates, birth, addresses, contact telephone numbers, and social security numbers of BST employees. BST has issued a statement saying a computer virus was detected on December 7th, which prevented access to its files. In addition to internal data, some information related to local clients was also potentially compromised, including community care physicians. A leading computer forensic firm was engaged to assist with the investigation and determine the nature and scope of the attack. The forensics expert determined the virus was active on a network from December 4th to December 7th and that the attackers had gained access to parts of the network where client data was stored. BST managed to recover the encrypted data from backups, so at least they had backups in place. BST confirmed the individuals affected by the breach by February 5th, 2020. Notification letters were sent by BST on February 14th, 2020. So that is... What's supposed to happen with a business associate? 
The compromised client data included names, dates of birth, medical record numbers, medical billing codes, and insurance descriptions. The incident has yet to appear on the HHS Office of Civil Rights breach portal, so it's currently unclear how many individuals have been affected. So, we don't know how many people. Um, what does this mean? So, let's, let's, let's start with the business associate agreement. The, an agreement needs to exist between the healthcare provider and all of the vendors that they that they have that may have um, th- intentionally or unintentionally have access to healthcare records (PHI). That's protected health inf- health information, and um, it sounds like they might have a business agreement in place in this incident because they are the ones that sent out the notification letters. But um, is it up to date? So what will end up happening here is the, and the OCR has already come out and said that they will, there will be more um, enforcement on business associates. So now we see three separate incidents in the last two weeks of business associates being compromised and causing healthcare records to be exposed. Um, the OCR is going to investigate. So what will happen here is if business associate agreement is, is in place and and in good standing, uh, the, the healthcare provider, the healthcare practice, in this case, community care physicians, PC, is probably off the hook. That's assuming that the rest of their HIPAA compliance program is, is up to date and they're doing the security risk assessments and so forth. Where the, where the onus will fall and the OCR, based on previous statements, may make an example out of them is on BST and company CPAs LLC. Now, this is a financial firm. It's a CPA. They also have compliance that they have to deal with. And in, in some cases, it's, well, probably most cases, it's more strict, more stringent than HIPAA. Um, so they may have their own things to handle, their own things to deal with down the road uh, with this, but that also means that they should have had some type of cybersecurity program in place. Now, I could tell you from me visiting CPAs, CPAs are notorious, just like dentists. They're notorious for not having um, the right safeguards in place. They're a little lax. I don't know if they just feel like they're they're not a um, a potential victim that obviously according to this and other cases that we've seen, that is not the case. But that's neither here nor there because this isn't about financial compliance, FINRA. This is about HIPAA. And so now if they have the business associate agreement in place, they are now on the hook for whatever comes of this. And the OCR is more than likely to come down on them. Um, so what does that mean? That means potential fines or settlements. That means a cap, maybe. I don't know because they, they don't have. There aren't a lot of cases against business associates at this point. Um, that means um, loss of reputation. That has nothing to do with OCR, but it's loss of reputation among the community. If they have other healthcare clients, they may lose uh, those as those people as clients. And it could could be even a loss of reputation for community care physicians. Now, if community care physicians doesn't have a business associate agreement in place, they are now 
the the liable company here. They're the ones that are going to be potentially at risk with OCR. And and we, we just talked about earlier the lawsuits that are happening, right? Um, sounds like in this instance, instance, there is a business associate agreement in place. However, one of the other ones I reported, um, and I report again in a few moments, um, was a business associate agreement. And in that instance, it does not sound like there was a business associate agreement in place. And that's going to lead to pro- problems. The point being is you need to have a bit, you, you need to vet your business associates. Healthcare providers, you need to vet your business associates. And if you need help with that, you need to have somebody who is knowledgeable in HIPAA compliance and understands the need to have these agreements in place and understands that they need to vet these vendors and make sure that they're doing what they need to do. Because if they're not, you're, you're, again, you're putting your clients who are your patients, you're putting their their life at risk, essentially, because now identity theft, um, maybe delayed healthcare. Uh, these are all things that can happen as a result of a ransomware attack, a data breach, um, malware in the system, whatever it might be. And this is it's a growing problem. It's continuing to grow. We've seen it was a slow start to the new year, but it has definitely picked up a notch or two in the last few weeks. So those business associate agreements need to be in place. But even more importantly, you need to vet your business associates. You need to vet all your vendors. You, you, you anybody who comes into your building for any reason, in 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 any way. So whether it's an electrician, they need to be vetted. They don't need a business associate um, agreement, but they need to be vetted. Make sure they're not going to try to steal your information. We we've got to stop putting client data at risk across all businesses, not just healthcare, but all businesses. So. Um, something to think about if you're, if you're a smaller practice and you're not sure, you know, you have the right pieces in place, then you need to hire somebody who can handle HIPAA compliance for you and vet those business associates for you. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this part of the HIPAA education piece. I didn't really drill down on anything today. It was more about making sure your, your healthcare practice is protected and ultimately that your patients are protected because it's really what it's all about. it's time for the HIPAA breach report. Um, it's kind of an extension of HIPAA education because it helps you to to learn what um, could impact your healthcare practice. Now, I am recording this a day earlier t- um, this week because of um, plans to be off the grid for a few days, I guess you could say. We'll put it that way. Not that I'm entirely off the grid. I'll still be monitoring, but won't have access to a microphone. Um, <clears throat> all right, so let's start with the most recent t- tennis orthopedic alliance phishing attack impacts over 81,000 patients. So the numbers are starting to increase in these uh, attacks. 81,146 patients affected by Tennessee orthopedic alliance phishing attack. Tennessee orthopedic alliance has discovered unauthorized individuals have gained access to email accounts of two employees. So whenever it's more than one employee, that definitely tells you multi-factor authentication is not being used, and more than likely there is no phishing mitigation steps, including education, in place. 
So TOA, Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance, became aware of the breach on October 18, 2019, when unusual activity was detected in an employee's email account. The account was immediately secured, and third-party computer forensic experts were engaged to investigate the breach. The investigation revealed a second email account had also been compromised, and the accounts were accessed by unauthorized individuals between August 16th and on October 14th. TOA determined on January 3rd, 2019, um, I'm assuming that's 2020, that the compromised email accounts contained names, addresses, phone numbers, d- dates of birth, social security numbers, health insurance information, diagnostic information, treatment information, and treatment codes. Patients were notified about the breach on February 14th, of 2020, individuals whose social security number was potentially compromised have been offered complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services. Uh, while PHI in the accounts could have been accessed by the attackers, TOA found no evidence to indicate patient information has been misused. Okay, so let's talk about that statement because that statement I see over and over again. So first of all, the 60-day breach notification rule right out the window here did not happen. Second of all, you have no way to know if that information has been comp- has has been misused because it's been what four months yeah four months since since uh you noticed the activity and so it's only four months it's not a long time i could tell you that the the people that compromise this information people that steal this information they don't use it right away most of the time it sits and waits and and, and a lot of times it's just put for sale so you don't know that. This is a failure. This is a complete failure on behalf of Tennessee Orthopedic Alliance phishing attack because they did not, they don't have phishing mitigation in place. They don't have multi-factor authentication set up. They failed the breach notification rule. And this that statement, um, you know, it's, it's old. Let's stop saying that because you don't know. Jefferson Dental Oral, De- Jefferson Dental Jefferson Dental Care Healthcare Management in Dallas, Texas, has discovered an unauthorized individual access the email account of an employee between July 21st and August 26th. Suspicious email account activity was detected on or around October 19th, and the account was immediately secured. JDH Healthcare Management determined on December 10th that the account contained the PHI of 45,748 patients. So I don't know why do we have 45,000 PHI records in email why i could get one or two or ten even but forty-five thousand and eighty-one thousand. that's crazy while no evidence was found to indicate patient information was accessed by the attacker of course not it is possible that names addresses dates of birth medical treatment information medical histories health insurance information payment information patient numbers and medical record numbers may have been compromised complimentary credit monitoring and identity protection services have been offered to affected patients and patients notified of Munson Healthcare phishing attack. So Munson Healthcare in Traverse City, Michigan, was dis- has discovered unauthorized individuals have gained access to the email accounts of some of its employees, assisted by third-party computer forensics experts. Munson Healthcare determined that the email accounts were subjected to unauthorized access between July 31st and October 22nd. The review of the affected email accounts was completed on January 16th. The accounts were found to contain patient names dates of birth, insurance information and treatment and diagnostic information. The accounts also contain a limited number of financial account numbers, driver's license numbers, and social security numbers. And um, yeah, the, the standard PR release there. Data breaches reported 
at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego, the largest children's hospital in California, discovered, I don't even know why that's relevant, but anyway, discovered a security breach on January 3rd, 2020, in which the protected health information of certain patients was potentially accessed by an unauthorized individual. A computer used by the radiology department had been remotely accessed by an unauthorized individual via an open internet port. So it's a little different, not the usual stuff. A digital forensics firm was engaged to investigate the breach and determined that the computer was compromised on June 20th, 2019. And access remained possible until the port was closed on January 3rd. So they had access for six months. An An analysis of the compromised device revealed on February 5th that names and genders of patients were potentially compromised along with the type of and date of imaging studies, and for some patients, their date of birth, medical record number, referring physician's name, and or description of the imaging study, no financial information, social security numbers, diagnosis, or medical images were compromised. Complimentary credit monitoring services have been offered to affected patients. Rady Children's Hospital is working closely with a digital forensics firm to determine what additional security measures are required to prevent further cyber attacks in the future. Multiple email accounts breached in an Aviana healthcare phishing attack. So yet another one with no MFA, no phishing mitigation. Atlanta, Georgia-based Aviana Healthcare, the largest provider of pediatric home care in the United States, has discovered the email accounts of several employees were compromised over the summer of 2019. Aviana Healthcare first identified suspicious activity email in the email accounts of some of its employees on August 24th. Third-party computer forensic specialists were engaged to assist with the investigation and determine the nature of the extent of the attack. The investigation revealed several email accounts were compromised between July 9th and August 24th. It was not possible to determine if any patient information was accessed or stolen by the attackers. The review of the compromised accounts was completed on December 19th. So that's a better statement. It's It's not really possible to know for sure. The breach report submitted to the California Attorney General shows 5,004 California residents were affected. It is currently unclear how many patients in other states have also been affected. Um, being a children's hospital, oh, I'm sorry, this is, yeah, this is a children's hospital. Um, it's hard to say for sure because sometimes the people come from other states. Um, California patients were notified about the breach of February 14, 2020, and were offered complimentary credit monitoring and identity that theft protection services for 12 months through TransReunion. Aviana Healthcare determined that the following information of California residents was contained in the account's name, social security numbers, driver's license numbers, bank and financial information, state ID numbers, medical information, and health insurance information. So another failure because that is multiple accounts compromised, no multi-factor authentication, no phishing mitigation, and we're storing records in email and no 60-day breach notification rule. Endeavor Energy, so this one's a little interesting. This is not a healthcare provider or a business associate. So listen, the oil and gas exploration firm, firm, sorry, Endeavor Energy Resources has announced it has experienced a phishing attack that potentially saw unauthorized individuals gain access to the personal and health information of 5,103 current and former employees. The attack was detected on January 14th when unusual activity was detected in Office 365 email account of one of its employees. On February 7, 2020, Endeavor determined that compromised email account contained the names and health plan ID numbers of current and former Endeavor employees. So that's where it becomes a HIPAA breach, the healthcare health plan ID numbers in the names put together. Um, and the dependents. So steps have been taken to improve email security. So it's a phishing attack. 
It's not a healthcare provider. It's not a business associate. I doubt the OCR will put much into this, but it is. Um, they they do have to report it because of of the healthcare information. Um, medical records of 156,400 personal touch home care patients compromised in ransomware attack on EHR hosting company. So Lake Success New York based home health company personal touch home care has st- started notifying patients that a recent ransomware attack on its Wyoming, Pennsylvania-based IT vendor Crossroads Technologies has potentially seen some of the health protected health information compromised. Crossroads informed PTHC on December 1st, 2019, that the ransomware attack affected its Pennsylvania data center where PTHC's electronic medical records were hosted. The ransomware attack prevented patient records from being accessed for a few days while the EHR system was down. Staff at PTHC switched to emergency protocols and used pen and paper to record patient information. The encrypted data has now been recovered. It is unclear whether Crossroads restored the data from backups or if the ransom was paid and if if any other healthcare clients were affected. The compromised medical records contain patient names, addresses, telephone numbers, dates of birth, medical record numbers, health insurance card numbers, plan benefit numbers, social security numbers, and treatment information. PTHC is currently unaware of the extent to which PHI was compromised and whether the attackers obtained PHI prior to the encryption of data. At this stage of the investigation, no evidence has been found to suggest patient information was exfiltrated prior to the deployment of ransomware. So it sounds like they may suspect it. Crossroads is is still investigating the attack. Incident was reported to to HHS OCR as 17 separate breach reports, one for each of the offices affected. The data breaches were reported separately as each office is a separate legal entity. In total, the PHI of 156,409 patients and caregivers givers across six states has been compromised. So, you know, <laughs> Crossroads might lose a big client here um, as a result. This is a business associate. So I just talked about this a few minutes ago. This is a business associate. And I will bet that since since um PTHC is the one making the notification that the business associate agreement is not up to date with all 17. So remember, it's 17 ent- entities that we know of, and we don't know if there was other healthcare practices involved. So this will be interesting to follow. Um, we just talked about the maze ransomware attack on the accounting firm, and uh, there was also a United Regional phishing attack affects up to 2,000 patients, Wichita Falls. Texas-based United Regional Healthcare System has announced it has suffered a phishing attack that has seen the email account of one of its employees accessed by an unauthorized individual. The attack occurred in July of 2019, but it took until December to complete the investigation and review the email account to determine whether patient information was compromised. It was not possible to determine whether emails were accessed or copied by the attacker, but unauthorized access and data theft could not be ruled out. The email account contain patient names, dates of birth, patient account, and or medical record numbers, and clinical information such as provider name and location lab result tests, test results, sorry, location, lab test results, diagnostic data, prescription information, procedures, and or treatment information. A limited number of individuals also had their social security numbers, driver's license numbers, health insurance information, and or passport information exposed. Patients were notified about the breach on February 18th, so the compromise took place on July 19th, July of 2019, so that's seven months ago. They did not, so, you know, it's, it, 
what 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 I'm what I'm seeing a lot of is it's not just one failure that would be in this case the phishing, two failures the breach notification rule, storing data in email, um, lots of it at that, and um, you know it just continues. It really it just it's but all these healthcare providers probably were approached by somebody who offers services to protect them and they decline. Um, NRC Health Recovering from Ransomware Attack. NRC Health, a provider of patient survey services, so this is a business associate, and software to more than 9,000 healthcare organizations, including 75% of the largest hospital systems in the United States and Canada, experienced a ransomware attack on February 11, 2020 that affected some of its computer systems. NRC Health immediately took steps to limit the harm caused and shut down its entire environment, including its client-facing portals. A leading computer forensic investigation firm was engaged to determine the nature and extent of the attack, and the incident has been reported to the FBI. According to the NRC Health website, the data of more than 25 million healthcare consumers in the United States and Canada is collected by NRC Health every year. Patient service conducted surveys conducted by NRC Health on behalf of its clients allow them to prove that patients are satisfied with their services they have received. That information is important for helping to improve patient care and also for determining how much Medicare reimbursement healthcare providers receive under the Affordable Care Act. Healthcare patients also use patient satisfaction scores to determine how much executives and patient physicians get paid. NRC Health said a significant progress has been made restoring its systems and services to customers and full recovery expected in the next few days. Notifications have been sent to its healthcare clients informing them about the attack and updates are being provided to clients on a daily basis until the incident is fully resolved. In the notifications, NRC Health said the initial findings of the investigation suggest no patient data or sensitive client information has been compromised. The breach report submitted to Department of Health and Human Services, OCR, indicates 63,581 patients were impacted by the attack. Um, sounds like it might be bigger than that, but we'll see. Finally, communication errors result in impermissible disclosure of 5,300 patients' PHI. Mercy, Phys- Mercy, Mercy Health Physicians Partner Southwest in Byron Center, Michigan, started sending breach notification letters to patients on February 10th, informing them that a third-party vendor contracted to Mercy Health, so this is actually the fourth business associate, made an error with a recent mailing. Mercy Health had provided the mailing vendor with the list of 3,164 names and addresses to send letters to patients informing them about the recent departure of a physician. An error in the mailing list mailing resulted in names being mismatched with addresses and 2,487 patients were sent a letter addressed to a different patient. No other sensitive information was disclosed. So I don't know that that's really a HIPAA breach, but during the, okay, here's why it's a HIPAA breach. During the, and I remember this from the last time I read it. During the breach investigation, it was discovered that there was no business associate agreement in place with the vendor. So there's the problem. Um, Hawaii Hospital notifies patients of an email error. On February 3rd, an employee of Queens Health Systems in Hawaii sent an email with an attachment containing the PHI of 2,852 patients to an incorrect recipient. The attached file contained the PHI of 2,852 patients of the Queens Medical Center of Queens North Hawaii Community Hospital. Email error was detected the following day. Efforts were made to contact the person who made, who had sent the email an error, 
who had been sent the email in error to ensure the patient list is deleted, but no response has been received, which tells me this wasn't sent to a business email address. This was sent to a free email address. So that in itself should, should raise a red, a red flag. The email attachment included patient names, admission dates, discharge dates, health plan ID numbers, and limited information about care received. The file also contained a diagnosis of 300 patients, the breach affected patients who received medical services after June 1st of 2019. No reports have been received to suggest patient information has been misused. Patients have been advised to monitor their explanation of benefit statements and to report any services that are listed but not ha have not been received. So this was reported on February 3rd, so it's only 24 days ago. And there's that statement against no reports have been received to suggest patient information has been misused. You don't know. You can't, you can't say that um, because it's only been 24 days. Um, anyway, that is going to do it for this episode of the Proactive IT Podcast. Until next week, stay secure.